Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman, and I'm really excited for today's episode, episode 150. And no one better than Kevin Abrams himself to, to be our 150th guest. And I, it's kind of weird to say that, Kevin, but um, 150 episodes, it's a lot. I know you're a listener as well, and so extremely excited to have a listener on as our guest. And Kevin is the Vice President of Football Operations and Assistant General Manager of the New York Football Giants. And Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Congratulations on 150. It's quite an accomplishment. Appreciate it. And and as we think about how many episodes we've done, you are the first person we're, we've had on that's been kind of in the football operations realm. Um, you know, we had Sean O'Hara on and in, in kind of the, the Las Vegas Raiders and uh, the business side. But let's talk a little bit of, of the player side, football operations, how you got started. And I, I won't fail to mention that you are a, a Bobcat alum as well. And I never forget that. We're uh, we're proud of our Ohio University Association. Where, you know, going from Athens to New York, I mean, what what was your first step into the football world? And, and you know, when you were going into grad school, did you know that that's what you wanted to do? I did. I mean, growing up in Toronto, um, when I finished my undergraduate degree, I started coaching with my high school coach. And I had some aspirations to go into coaching as a profession. But in Canada, somewhat different than down here in the States, coaching isn't really a, a profession. It's it's a bit more of a voluntary endeavor until you get to a certain level and then then jobs appear but those are few and far between so um i decided that coaching is something i might do on the side as a volunteer um but wasn't a, a job not in canada so then i considered law school i considered um working at a company that i'd spent my summers working at as an undergrad um and ultimately was pointed in the direction of a gentleman who was the pr director for the toronto blue jays had a conversation with him uh, the kind of conversations that everyone in this business had with somebody along the way about, you know, sports. It's how do you get into this business? I mean, it's not, you know, if you want to be a doctor, you go to med school. If you want to work on Wall Street, you get your MBA. If you want to uh, be a lawyer, you go to law school. Those career paths are, are fairly clearly illuminated. Sports is a bit different. And it's um, he was kind enough to to give me some really good advice, including keep coaching, you know, build your resume. You know, I hadn't done much as an undergrad in hindsight. I wish I had gotten involved earlier in doing volunteer things to help my resume. And I, and I hadn't. So he said, you need to catch up a little bit. So I started volunteering for um, the amateur association that governs all the uh, minor league football in Ontario. And then um, he said, apply to Ohio university. They had a grad school program in, um, in sports administration, which was a bit of a revelation to me. You know, they, they, they teach classes and this stuff. That was, I thought that was remarkable. And, you know, I wasn't much of a, I wasn't a bad student, wasn't a good student, certainly wasn't looking to do much more education, but uh, this seemed like something that was a bit of a no brainer, especially with the endorsement it got from someone who worked in the industry. And I was lucky enough to get into the program. And then once here or here or there, I was able to work with the football coaches and recruiting, which was close to what I wanted to do. I mean, my, my, my dream scenario was to work on the team building side of a football team. Um, I did go in so open-minded thinking that whatever I could do in sport, whether it was on the business side or, you know, community relations or public relations or on the team building side, I'd be happy. I figured the subject matter would win the day for a 40 year career. I think now with the benefit of hindsight 
and having been able to work on the team building side, for me personally, I don't know that I would have been as satisfied um, working. I still would have loved to be in the industry, but the, you know, it's, it's a, it's a lifestyle as much as it is an occupation as, you know, Theo, I've heard that quote from Theo Epstein. It's a pretty mm-hmm. good one. And, you know, we work long and odd hours and it is taxing on relationships and families. And, you know, would I want to do that to work in a discipline that wasn't um, quite as tailor-made to my interest as the team building side? And I don't, I don't know, maybe I would have, I, I don't know, but I think having had the opportunity to work on the team building side, I'm glad it worked out that way. So at Ohio, I had the chance to work with the coaches in recruiting plus through the program, we had great opportunities to do volunteer work with things like um, the baseball winter meetings, the Cotton Bowl, um, and then obviously game day through all the the college sports that we had in a Division One program. So you had plenty of opportunities for practical experience was, was something I was sorely lacking. I had work experience, but not practical experience in the sports industry. And then through some alumni um, connections, I was able to get an internship with the London Monarchs in uh, NFL Europe in corporate relations, then the Buffalo Bills in PR. Ultimately, some of those relationships led to an opportunity with the Redskins to work in training camp and scouting, um, which was my first opportunity into the team building side. And I really just sort of crystallized for me that that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, certainly the Buffalo and the London experiences, they kind of, you know, as you go through that, your first exposures to everything this industry has to offer, which is important to realize what you don't want to do as it is to, really confirm what it is you do want to do. And all these experiences helped me with that. And then um, really through just good fortune, I happened to answer the right phone call that came in at the right time when I was on duty. Um, I happened to be connected with someone that worked at the league office and the management council. And at this point I had done, you know, three years and and six different internships and, you know, three different countries and two continents and, you know, had pretty much exhausted all the money I had saved up to go to law school. I was pretty much running out of, uh, a bankroll to help myself do these, you know, low-paying internships, and thankfully I had family and friends with sofa beds that would allow me to jump from opportunity to opportunity when they presented themselves. And I was pretty much committed to doing a job um, that was a little further away from the team building side than I would have liked. But then this, there was an internship at the league office at the management council, which dealt with all things collective bargaining and labor and the salary cap. And I sort of convinced myself, all right, one more internship, this is it. And then it's got to be a full-time job. And I had a high school buddy that was offering up his couch on, uh, in Manhattan. And, you know, I, I did it three months, became nine months because they had a lot of attrition clubs were poaching their people to work on, on the salary cap and the giants after my nine months needed somebody. And, and I got hired as a salary cap analyst, which if you had asked me three years prior to that, you know, I had no aspirations or even considered as a possibility to work in the salary cap. It sort of fell on my lap. And it was my, uh, that was my, my opening to get into a front office and into a football operations. And once in there, I was able to work with our personnel departments and, and sort of broaden the opportunity to, to do some personnel work. And then, you know, over time, just about everything that, that happens in football operations. When you think back to those first three years, six internships, uh, I think you said two continents, uh, three different countries. I mean, when you think about all that you did have to go through and kind of how that helped set uh, not only a perspective for you, but also a work ethic and uh, an exposure to a lot of different things. How did that help you through those first experiences as a salary cap analyst and then on and on? Uh, as you kind of continue to gain responsibility? 
Well, generally speaking, I think it helped just because it provided me exposure to different corporate cultures um, and a lot of different departments within the football company. Um, I, got, I became familiar with the rhythm and the cadence of a football season doing PR in Buffalo. Um, I got familiar with grassroots and, and the business development side in, in London and training camp operations obviously is, um, you know, that's a bit of the nitty gritty behind the scenes and, you know, you can't function without that. And, and then obviously the scouting opportunity with the Redskins was, you know, I was so interested in it that, you know, there weren't enough hours in the day because I just wanted to do more. I knew I had a limited finite amount of time with the Redskins and I wanted to get as much as I could uh, done. And it sort of, um, and then, um, I guess all these different opportunities as my job with the Giants has, has grown a little bit over time. Um, and certainly I think like just about every company, you know, compared to 1999 when I got here, you know, things were very siloed back then. And now I think your entire industry and your entire building rather, you know, those silos are kind of gone and there's a lot of interdependence from department to department. And we were required to do a lot more communicating and working with our business development, our legal our finance, you name it. And having had just a little bit, not a lot, and by no means am I an expert in business development or corporate relations or public relations, but at least I can speak the language and I don't need a translator and, and I can at least be conversive and, and we can provide solutions for them or we can go to them seeking solutions and, and ask or answer uh, the question of the day appropriately and, and get to those solutions that we need. So I think it was helpful because it, Exposed me a lot of different departments, which helps me today. And I think it exposed me a lot of different cultures and, and a lot of different, um, you know, having worked for a lot of different people, you know, I, I got a sense of, you know, how to be um, responsible for people working for you and, and, and gave me a sense of different leadership styles. Well, and ultimately, and we were talking about this earlier, you know, it, it is a business, even though you're on the player side, you're on the team building side, uh, to your point, it touches all the different aspects of the business as a whole. And if you're on the PR side or you're on the, the business development or sponsorships or whatever it might be, the greatest asset is the players in the team. And if you know, you're able to have a great relationship um, across departmental functions, you know, you're able to really maximize everyone's efforts, work and uh, efficiencies to to maximize business, uh, which ultimately, you know, you gotta you gotta pay the payroll, right, of of the players that you sign. And um, so, as, as you think about the player side as a business, what are a couple of things that people maybe from the outside wouldn't necessarily realize about the player side being a, a true business as opposed to all the the fun, you know, things you see from a, a draft perspective or training camp, et cetera. I think that. Um... We get we become more aware of it every day, but you know we certainly we've always been aware that on, on football operations is a cost center. We don't generate revenue, but what we do do is provide the material from which the the revenue generators have to operate with. And so there is a um, codependence because we can't do what we do without them generating revenue, and they can't rev generate revenue without us doing the best possible job on our end. It's a lot easier to sell a winning successful team than it is a losing team. So. Um, I think that, you know, we certainly now more than ever, because of um, really just opportunities and ability to pull the curtain back, we're doing that. And I think like a lot of sports teams, we were pretty reluctant at first, but I think we've also come to realize there's 
there are some safe areas where you can pull the curtain back, not compromise anything you're trying to accomplish on the field while providing more content and more access for our fans. And that's been it's a slow process and it's gradual and it's never ending, which is good. Um, but it required educating our people, understanding that, you know, our, our staffs are growing fast. I mean, it's, we never used to have a data department, you know, 10 years ago, we have a big one. Now we didn't have a big IT and development department. Now it's a huge team and a big part of what we do. We didn't have, you know, I think we have 22 coaches on our staff. Now it used to be 14, 15, my first couple of years with the giants. So, I mean, we're, we're staffing up everywhere. All these staffing up comes with a cost. And we have to recognize that. And it's, it's, it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we're working with business development so that we can pay for all the resources that we want. You know, we, we don't demand, but we ask for a lot of support from our ownership. And they provide it almost un, well, not unquestioned. You have to justify it. But we have to. So it's, it's a good opportunity for us to remind people, you know, we have to filter those requests and say, all right, justify it. If you can't sell me on it. Because I'm, my motivation is the same as you. We're not going to be able to sell the ownership on it, or we're not going to be able to sell. We're not going to sell finance on it. Or we're not going to sell legal on it. But if you can sell me, then we can take it up the chain and see if this is something we. This is a piece of technology we should invest in. Is this a position we should create? Uh, is this an endeavor we should pursue? You know. But before we do, everyone has to think about. You know, we, we don't really function, and maybe we should. But you know, it's not dollar dollar in dollar out like we're not looking if you want to spend money on that you got to save this money somewhere else but we do ask people to be very cognizant of the expenses we're trying to keep down how we can do that as best we can so that when we do ask we're doing it responsibly you know treat this you know would you make that request with your own money or would you not kind of thing right it's like it's like handle it as if it was your own bank account right and mm-hmm. and you want you you still want to see money in your own bank account at the end of the day uh, as long as you can get what you need Uh, to succeed. You know, you mentioned a lot of the different departments and for our listeners, can you provide just kind of a quick high level overview of the different aspects of the football operations side? I mean, obviously there's, there's the salary cap and and scouting and the coaches and and people like yourself in the front office, but high level overview, what are the different departments? You know, when you mentioned you had no idea salary cap analysts existed, right? What are some of those things that people may not know about that that do exist from a, a, a job perspective sure i mean the two biggest departments within football operations one the coaching staff two are two scouting departments college and pro um and then everything else we do is is or every other department within our football operations is there to support those two departments you know our medical department is very um has grown significantly over the years and i think ours is as good as anybody's in the league we're fortunate to be in new york which certainly helps um and then we have um as we we treat it as um under the medical umbrella we have our strength conditioning and performance and nutrition staff and then we also have our player wellness um clinical services and player engagement development staff um and then supporting coaches and scouting we'll also have our video department our data and innovation department and our equipment staff as well so that if I'm not forgetting anything, I believe that's, you know, there's an IT development team that is mostly dedicated to football. So I suppose that's also, I would sort of throw that under our data and innovation, but they do sort of serve two masters IT for the entire operation. And then, you know, they have uh, development staff that is uh, fully embedded into our football operations and creating systems that we need on our scouting and coaching side. 
Um, and then everything else, sorry, the, the, and then, you know, community and public relations and all that becomes involved. But, you know, I sort of consider that to be more um, our business operations side of the building. Sure. No, that makes sense. And you mentioned grow, growth and, and, you know, you've grown over the years. Where do you see kind of the next area of growth within the football operations realm? Well, I think the data and technology is not slowing down anytime soon. I think that we've only just scratched the surface. Um, I would be surprised if there's any building in the league or any league that's not going to be, exception maybe baseball. They seem like they're pretty um, heavily staffed in those areas. But at least the people that I've spoken to in baseball, it sounds like they're, um, because of the nature of their game, they're probably a decade ahead of us when it comes to uh, staffing up in that areas. But every team in the NFL is going to be, you know, two and three times the staff they have dedicated to IT development and uh, data and innovation. So I, I don't think that's stopping anytime soon. Um, and that's probably the areas we're going to have a, the, the biggest amount of growth. You know, I think that 20 years ago when I came in, a lot of teams were hiring salary cap analysts and I was fortunate enough to be um, hired in that role. And it turns out after doing it for a few years that, you know, that unto itself isn't really a full-time job. You have to have bring more to the table. You better be a negotiator, uh, in-house counsel, um, travel secretary, a scout, um, an IT assistant, something. And, um, but that was an area of growth once upon a time. And then as we became more reliant on IT um, for a lot of different reasons, but in particular for communications and, and all of a sudden everyone had a desk, desktop computer, which you know really wasn't that long ago that that wasn't the case. Um, you know, IT was an area of growth, and that's where there were opportunities for young people to get in the, into the league. Um, unfortunately, back then, people kind of came in and were pigeonholed in roles um, and really only had to have an expertise in one thing, whereas now I think we're looking for, as a bare minimum, you could be coming in as a quality control coach or an entry-level scouting assistant or even an intern, and we are kind of looking for people that have not necessarily an expertise, but a fluency in, in data and technology because it's going to cross their desk. And as our more senior people probably don't have that fluency just because of when they went through school, um, there's no reason why we can't make that a priority when we're hiring our young people to make sure that you know we have the ability to communicate across departments with our IT and our data folks so that those conversations don't require translators. Each of those departments is at least fluent in those languages. And then our projects pick up momentum. They don't die on the vine when we get busy in season and, and target dates are met. Yeah. I think back to the conversation that we were having with John Lombardo from the Red Sox and in, in the scouting world and how, you know, you mentioned that baseball is kind of ahead of the game in terms of the data side of things. I mean, the, the, the still the biggest struggle though, is you, you get the data, uh, you're able to then to your point, translate it to the right people. And then ultimately how do you translate it from, uh, you know, analysis to coaching to implementation, right? And so when you think about the the knowledge gap and or the skills necessary to do that, it's something that, uh, to your point, a lot of people are going to have to have a variety of skill sets to be able to understand all, all aspects and all um, pieces of, of the game to be able to facilitate that. I can't think of any role in our building that entry-level people wouldn't benefit with some sort of Statistical analysis doesn't have to be your major, but take a class, you know, certainly make sure you've been at the front of the room a couple of times, have, you know, be computer savvy, you know, be able to troubleshoot, you know, those sorts of things. I mean, those are the skills that will, you know, they break ties and they tend to lead to 
more upward mobility once you're in the building than if you just have, you know, this one skill set, the single quiver, you know, that's not going to, you're just going to have uh, more opportunities because you'll be able to get involved in more things. When you think about uh, your comment at the beginning of the episode about how your job is a lifestyle, right? The quote from 3O Epstein. And uh, when you think about the lifestyle and, and kind of just embracing uh, the long hours, uh, the work, and ultimately soaking up as much knowledge as you possibly can, What's the one piece of advice for whatever part of the industry you're in, but specifically if you're in, in the operational player side of things um, that you've learned over the years as to uh, how to manage the lifestyle and how to uh, accept the lifestyle as well? Well, I'm not sure that you ever figure that out. I mean, in a lot <laughs> of ways, it is it just is what it is. You know, I, I recommend that, you know, if you choose to get married and have a family that you be pretty upfront about what it's going to be like. It can be a bit of a shock to the system for those that you're spending the rest of your life with. And it means playing catch up a lot and, and you have smaller windows to really maximize your time with your family. So that does have to be, it has to be very intentional. You know, you can't, you can't float through fatherhood, you know, not that people do have nine to five jobs and weekends off. That's not what I'm suggesting, but you know, it's, it is more incumbent upon you to make sure that you are, being the best possible parent you can be, being the best possible spouse you are, you can be, because it it if you don't if you aren't attentive to it, you know you're probably not going to get there naturally. It does require effort. Um, not that you know fatherhood and, and marriage requires effort on everybody's part. So um, you know that's the downside of the lifestyle, but it, it provides tremendous opportunities. It's you know certainly the subject matter is something that we all love, and and very frankly, chances are. You know, the people that marry us love it too. It's probably half the reason why they even were interested in us in the first place. And your kids, I'm sure, born of people that fall in love with sports at a young age, they're going to fall in love with this at a young age. And the fact that you provide that environment for them, um, you know, there's a tremendous amount of benefit. Plus, it's just, it's it's the consummate people business. And there's great characters in this game. There's wonderful people. They come from all kinds of background. It's probably the most diverse industry in the world. And again, we don't, we're not selling widgets or stocks. We're, we're, we're investing in people and developing people. And if, if, if that doesn't fascinate you, then, then, you know, I'm not sure what to tell you because it's, I find it to be endlessly fascinating. Well, and it's, you're always learning every day about something different. And I think, you know, we all learned a lot from the, the virtual draft as well and just kind of how things could be different. You know, I think the day and age of this is how we, did it and this is how we do it and that's just because we've always done it that way i think is gone um you know there's always going to be things that are are still done uh the way they always used to be but because it's the right way to do it um but as things evolve your you know to your point data technology um and different types of analysis that are involved in decision making what's kind of the the couple things that you've seen over the last you know you've been with the giants now for 21 years um, that has really changed, uh, you know, from not only year to year, but uh, as as you've you know had different teams, right, that have gone on to win the Super Bowls, and then you've had losing seasons, and vice versa, and and how things have uh, maybe adjusted because of that. Again, I kind of touched on it before, but I think certainly within our football operations, I don't want to speak necessarily for our business ops because um, they've had a different kind of growth over there. And I think they're now 
under new leadership, they're kind of gelling in their own way. But on football operations, what we have is a much more global operation. You know, I, I mentioned before that we used to have a lot of silos, coaches, coach, scouts, scouted, uh, video did video and, and IT was, you know, was barely a, a function at that point. And 20 years ago, we didn't have a data department. You know, we, we, we used analytics. Analytics has been a part of football for, for 50 years. We just didn't call it that. It was self-scouting and it was tendencies and trends, opponents and ourselves. And, you know, we've been doing that forever. But now, you know, it's, it's, it becomes such a bigger part of what we do for a lot of reasons. But I think that there's a, a global or universal language that we all have to speak in football operations because of those conversations I mentioned before so that um, translation isn't required and, you know, it doesn't work when, you know, the end users are going to your IT and your data folks with the needs exclusively. You know, obviously that's going to be the case a lot of the time, but those end users don't always have, without expertise within those departments, they don't know what the possibilities are to even ask for things. And so therefore now you're counting on your IT people and your data people who have um, the breadth of knowledge and experience in working in data and IT to know what the possibilities are but they don't have the football fluency to come to people unless you embed them into your football processes, scouting and coaching and say, I notice you're doing this. You know, I have an idea. This could help you with your efficiency. This is another way to look at it. This is, you know, our technology has a capacity to do something that you're not aware of. Let me show it to you. So you kind of need to have these two people or two, all these different departments that speak very, very different languages. Traditionally, I think now that things are much more global, you're allowed to move, at a much faster pace, you're much more agile, and your capacity for innovation goes up tremendously. And, and I think that's the biggest difference from where we were um, 21 years ago, not to mention the fact that we used to be so reliant on third-party vendors, which we still are to some extent, but less so. Um, but we've taken control of a lot of our technology and data, um, and that's allowed us to be much more innovative as well. So those are pro that's probably the biggest change in the last 21 years. And last question as we wrap up the episode, you know, obviously you're competing against 31 other teams and um, sometimes the way in which you do things might be secret. But uh, when you think about the player side with, uh, within other sports and things that you might be able to learn from those in baseball or basketball or hockey or soccer, uh, are, are there almost best practices that are shared amongst, you know, assistant GMs or GMs around the leagues that, um, you know, help you further, you uh, you know, your success and, and ultimately shine a light on something that someone else is, is potentially doing that that's worked? Uh, there is. I don't know if you're looking for specific examples, but as a, a concept, you know, that best practice sharing certainly in, in recent years has gone up tremendously. I think the paranoia of pulling the curtain back on what you're doing, um, you know, everyone's kind of gotten over themselves thinking that, well, I've got a secret and I don't want to share it with anyone else. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, from my point of view, within reason, obviously, I don't mind sharing what we do as long as I'm getting back. And like any other exchange of information or otherwise, you're going to have to give something to get something. Um, and I love the conversations with other organizations in football, outside of football, in different sports, in different industries. And, and we really promote that in our building as part of everyone's professional development and growth to get involved in. You know, we're fortunate. We work in New York and there's there's nine or ten other um major sports franchises in the other four major sports um, and 11 of you, the Jets, but I don't think the Jets are going to be sharing information with us too recently in any time <laughs> soon. But, um, 
and they're across the river from us at, at most, you know, so it's, you know, if I'm a video director for the New York Giants, you know, I had best be reaching out to my counterparts at these other sports saying, hey, you know, we're going through, you know, data video integration and, and you might be a year ahead of us. Let's talk about lessons that you learned and then what can we tell you? I mean, we, we probably do more practice filming than other sports do. Maybe we can help them with some of our processes. Those conversations need to be happening all the time and we encourage our staff to do that whenever we can. We encourage visits. We take people from, from the NRL and the AFL in Australia. We take visits from EPL and um, uh, all European sports come on over and, and, and we have good relationships across North American sports just because I think it's, it's important. A, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I love this business. Why wouldn't I want to talk about it? And two, you know, I, I just think it's, it's how we, it's one of the many ways we can be getting better regularly and our people can be continually getting better individually. And that allows our departments to get better, which allows us to get better. So we encourage it. We ask our people to go to conferences. We, we ask them to, build networks. You know, one thing that's been really fascinating with the last three months, unfortunate as the pandemic is obviously, but it's provided opportunities to be offline. Once we got through the draft, you know, there's a whole world of people and executives around sports that through whatever connections they have, these, these impromptu, you know, virtual brainstorming sessions are happening. And it's depending on what your the subject matter of the day is, you might want to tune in and you might not and it's it's really fascinating there's some brilliant people out there really cutting edge people that are willing to talk about what they're doing and it's uh i think it's probably pretty unique about our industry that we do do that um and it's great that we do and it's there's just so many opportunities to be doing that on a regular basis you know sometimes finding the time is difficult but i really think it's it's an important part of what we do yeah, no, you couldn't have said it any better. I mean, I don't know if Apple and Google are necessarily necessarily sharing best practices on their smartphones. Um, yeah. You know, like you like you guys might be from you know practice standpoint. You know, obviously, you're not opening up your playbook, right? But um, yeah, I think that also happens on the business side. You know, plentiful and and um, it's super super helpful just to gain perspectives of things that you just had no idea about or. Uh, someone's thought about it completely differently just because of their background and their experiences. So, uh, Kevin, any any last words for the listeners as as we uh, say say sayonara? You know, I mean, the one thing that really strikes me about our industry right now, and it kind of uh, um, is a good follow up to the the question we just we just discussed. But you know, if I, if I'm a young person trying to get in this business right now, I mean, it's such a great time to be looking for these opportunities because. Jake, I'm not sure what what year your entry level into the business was, but for me it was 1998, I suppose, and really I left Canada in '96. And everything that is so available to us online, the the wealth of information that's out there. I mean, your ability to research who you're trying to talk to and have a leg up on the conversation before you get into it. There's just you, you have such an advantage over, you know, this isn't like a, an old guy, ah, oh, young kids don't know how good they have it kind of thing. It's a Young kids, there's so much information out there. Take advantage of it. It's fascinating. It's available. And it puts you in such a better position to have these conversations that were, you know, for me, were, were awkward as hell. And trying to make an introduction that would compel someone to want to have a follow-up conversation with me. It was hard back in the day because you didn't have any nuggets of information. You kind of had to guess or sort of fall into something. But now it's all out there. I mean, you can, you can find just about anything about anybody. And before you get on the phone or before you go for an interview... I mean, you should have some phenomenal questions and you should be able to dig deep into finding the right organizations and opportunities for you because there's so much information out there. And it's, it's a, I mean, what a gift that is while you're trying to break your way into this industry and it's a hard one to get into. So to have that now 
you know, that's a great asset. No, absolutely. You couldn't have said that any better. I mean, I started I, my first internship was back in 2012, 2013. And, and even just the seven, eight years since then, uh, there's so much more access just at your fingertips. And it's something as simple as, you know, if I post the podcast and I there's 200 people that like it, uh, I'm going to scroll through the 200 people and, and kind of find some interesting people to just look at their career paths. I find that stuff fascinating just because you're like, oh, what does this person do? You know, how did Kevin Abrams get to where he is now? And because of LinkedIn, you know, to some extent, you're able to see a snapshot. You're not going to know all the details. You're not going to know what the person's like just by looking at their profile. But you can have a good snapshot of, okay, they've done this, they've done this, and they've done this. Um, and it's really interesting. And you never used to be able to have that. You'd have to read someone's bio, you know, on, on the website. And um, if, if that was available, right? Yeah. And, and you do have to have a bit of a, a BS radar to go through because there's so much information out there now. Not all of it's good. Sure. It's not all created equal. But <laughs> if you do curate your, your resources well, there's just so much good information out there that it's you can't help but set yourself up for success if you do it right. No, that's a great insight. And Kevin, thank you so much for your time and advice and, and insights to you know the football side of things. And appreciate you being on our show for episode 150. My pleasure, Jake. Thank you for having me. And congratulations again on 150 episodes. That's, that's fantastic.